So we continue, we continue in our explicit gospel series. We continue in our, in our series of looking at the book of Galatians, looking at uh, what God has for us through the writing of Paul to the churches at Galatia. Um, and so there are many churches in this region, multiple churches, smaller churches, just like you and I here at PCC. And Paul is writing, telling them, you cannot get the gospel wrong. Don't miss it. You can't. And he's telling us that same thing this morning. See, when we look to God's word, it does shape us. It has power. It does transform us. And so I'm going to read his word in Galatians 3, verse 15. You can turn on your phones. You can open up his word. Go on your Bible app. Galatians 3, starting in verse 15, says this. Paul writing to the churches in Galatia. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. Scripture does not say into seeds, meaning many people, but into your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. What I mean is this. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God, and thus do away with the promise. For if the inheritance depends on the law, then it, is no longer, then it no longer depends on the promises. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. Why then was the law given at all? It was added because of transgressions. Until the seed to whom the promise referred had come. The law was given through angels and entrusted to a mediator. A mediator, however, implies more than one party. But God is one. Is the law, therefore, opposed to the promises of God? Absolutely not. For if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. But Scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin, so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. This is the word of God. So as we look as we look at this word, we, we think of the difference between a contract and a promise. We think of the difference between a contract and a covenant. And so, me being the uh, diligent person that I am, I looked up the purpose of a contract. And here they are. There's many purposes of a contract. Some of you work in this world of contracts. A contract will help you navigate the law. You need a simple way to navigate the law, a contract will help you. A contract will make the law more accessible to us common folk, as I put it who can't read the law, who don't know the law, a contract will help. Contract helps you get paid. It helps you minimize disputes. It creates certainty. No longer are the days of a gentleman's agreement, simple handshake, that no longer happens anymore. But we need a contract. All parties know how to act and what is expected from them. A contract helps you give good customer service. It helps you build trust and give you a peace of mind. A contract gives you and the client a peace of mind because you know that any transactions are protected. By providing this to clients, you, as the person given the contract, have built a trust in the business. So get this, iTunes does this, and why they do this is um, to gain trust, to know that uh, the last item on your end-user agreement in an iTunes end-user agreement literally says you will not be able to use this information to build nuclear weaponry. Some of you don't know that. That is a line that was one of the last lines in an iTunes agreement. No chemical warfare or nuclear weaponry can be used from the information you gather by using our services. 
Why do they have to do that? To build trust, to gain trust, to lock you in. You do your part, we'll do ours. A contract allows you to manage expectations. Here's the fact that remains. We've realized that we need contracts. Why? Because we can't be trusted. <laughs> right? Businesses can no longer just shake hands and say, I'm good for this. We need contracts to hold each other accountable. We need contracts to enter into agreements. No longer can we just pinky promise and say promise. <laughs> We can't do that in this world anymore. Why? Why? Why can't we do that? Because we know that we're not tempted to keep them and we know you're not tempted to keep them. We know at the end of the day, if, if I need to up, I expect them to uphold their end and I will uphold my end. See, to be honest with myself, I need contracts to hold myself accountable because I know how rebellious I can be. I know if you tell me not to press the red button, I'll press the red button because I'm just that stubborn. I know that I won't give you the full truth at the end, on my worst days. I'll hide it from you. Just like Facebook did, right? We didn't lie. We just withheld some truth from you. No. You told us you weren't using our information in the contract. You didn't say this in the contract. Now guess who's held legally liable? Facebook. They didn't do their part, right? They didn't tell us everything. Why do we need this? Because we know how fleeting, how rebellious the world can be. We know that this world is broken. We know it. I enter into it most days, just ministry in general. See, why don't we sign a contract on our wedding day, right? Why don't we stand up there in front of people in a community and our vows say, if you do your part, I'll do mine. Deal? Okay, let's handshake, right? We make a covenant. We say, I'm committed. See, we reflect this covenant, this commitment that God makes with us in our covenant with one another. We didn't sign a contract. We said in sickness and in health, at your worst and at your best, I'm there. And we didn't roll our eyes when we said that. And if you did, we need to talk. <laughs> we said at your best and at your worst, I'm there. I will be there. I'm not going anywhere. That's why last week in our parent-child dedication, we didn't say this. Okay, two-month-old baby. If you sleep 8 to 12 hours a night, if you don't repel your food outward, upward, or downward, and blowouts aren't a thing in your life, I will stay your parent. I will stay committed to you. You uphold your end, little two-month-old baby, and I'll uphold mine. That's foolish, right? That's foolish thinking. We don't say that. We say to that two-month-old baby, you provide me nothing but smiles and sometimes pain in the middle of the night. <laughs> but I'm here, I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. See, that's why we do parent-child dedication. That's why we enter into vows in our marriage. We say we are committed. We say that even if you don't, uh, don't uphold your end of the deal, I am, I am still there. We don't sign a contract, we, sign, we make a covenant. And what God has done to us has made a covenant. See, in a world that tells us, if you don't uphold your end, I'm out, we say, even if you don't uphold your, your end, I'm in. Actually, I'm coming closer to you when you don't uphold your end. I'm pursuing you when you don't uphold your end. See, we have a chance as the people of God here to look to God and see just how committed he was to us, and he still is to us. This is what we have to understand, that God doesn't sign a contract with us. He makes a promise to us. 
He makes a covenant with us. God does not deal with us on the basis of our performance for him. He deals with us on the basis of his performance on our behalf in Christ. So what we need to understand as we enter this text this morning, what we need to hear this morning is this isn't about you. This isn't about me. This is about God and what he's done. See, I'm firm on this. I am firm till the day that I die that I will never preach a sermon that tells you the point of the sermon that says this. Here's what we need to do. I will not stand up here and preach a sermon that that is the point. What I will do is say, look at what God has done. And in response to that, this is what we get to do. Right? And so I want you to hear this morning that this is not about us. This is about what God has done in Christ. This is about what he's done in his son. This is about what he's done through the good news that he's rescued us. And so Paul is telling the churches in Galatia, and Paul is telling us this morning, stop making this about you. Look to God and what he's done. Look to God and what he's done. So I have three points in this text. Why won't God go back on his promise? Why did God give the law, and how do we receive the promises of God? So point one here, why, why won't God go back on his promises? Look at verses 15 through 18 here. Brothers and sisters, let me take an example from my everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. See, what we have to first off realize is that Paul is, is a really good preacher. He's a really good preacher. He says, let me give a human example. He's a really good preacher. He says, let me land the plane for you. Let me tell you something that you can understand. Let me tell you about contracts. Let me tell you how you can relate to this. See, but what we tend to do is put on how we feel towards other people and put it on God. So we don't start with God, we start with our personal experiences and our personal circumstances. Well, people aren't trustworthy, so God, how can I trust you? But what we need to understand is that we start with the, with the characteristics of who God is. And there's a thing in theology, when we study who God is, that means it's theology that calls God unchangeable. Immutable is the, the fancy word for it. So if we look at Malachi 3.6, which should be up on the screen, we see for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O sons of Jacob, are not consumed. Or Isaiah 46, 9 through 11, I am God, there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me. And, and skipping ahead to verse 11 there. What I have said that I will bring about, what I have planned, I will do. And then Numbers 23, 19, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? God will always fulfill the promises that he makes. He will always be true to his word. That does not change. That will never change. So we start there. This is what, this is what, what Paul is saying about Abraham. See, to give that human example, he goes back and he looks to Abraham in Genesis 15. See, because remember now, to catch you up to speed, the Judaizers that Paul is, is speaking to in Galatia were saying that it's, it's Jesus plus circumcision equals salvation. Jesus plus something equals salvation. And what Paul is saying, that you've got the order wrong. You're looking back at Genesis 12 through 20, and you're saying 
and you're looking at it, and you see circumcision in chapter 17, but you don't see the free grace fully given to Abraham in chapters 12 through 16. And so what we have to understand is the order is everything. That's why I started off saying that we respond to his grace. We don't earn his grace. Jesus plus nothing equals everything. So let's turn back to Genesis 15, and let's just look at God's promise here. So I I do ask you, if you have his word, and I I really hope you do, because don't just take my word for it. Remember, I told you, I I confessed to you, I, I break my promises. At my worst, I break my promises. I try not to. So let's look to God's word. Genesis 15, and we need to realize this. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. Remember that. A contract says it's mutual parties. A contract, you say, I will perform a service for you and you will pay for that service. If I don't perform the service to your expectations, then don't pay because that's what the contract says. A covenant says, even if you don't perform to my expectations, I will still give. I will still give you what you deserve. And God does not operate like that with us. So chapters 12 through 14, in chapter 12, God picks out Abraham in Genesis and says, you, You, I will, here's the promise, I will make you into a great nation. And Abraham and Sarah say, how? We don't even have a son. And God said, trust me. Then God said, I'm going to send you out. And Abraham said, where? He said, I'll tell you later, just go. (laughs) Okay? And and in in chapter 15, we see in verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Believed Credited to him as righteousness. Trusted, now righteous. And then God says, Abraham, you don't believe me? Check this out. Chapter 15, starting in verse, let's go, verse 9. So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat, a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young person. Abraham brought all of these to him. Abraham knew exactly what he was doing here. God told him to cut them in half. He didn't even, God didn't even say have to cut them in half because Abraham knew. There was a covenant ritual back at this time that said when you enter into an agreement with someone, just like this right here, this aisle way, you take animals, you cut them in half, as gruel as that sounds, the blood spills in the middle, one party stands at one end, one stands at the other, you meet in the middle. So have you heard that phrase, meet me halfway? Okay. Meet in the middle, you shake hands, hug, do some type of of agreement, and then you have entered into a covenant with that person. And you say, if I don't uphold my end of the deal, may I be as these animals. That's how serious that covenant was. That's how serious the ritual was. This is what we're entering into right here in chapter 15. God says, do this, Abraham. Abraham knew exactly what to do. He's done it many times. Okay? So Abraham, there's Abraham, right? God God is watching him do all these things. He's faithful. He's given him righteousness. Abraham then, in in verse 12, as the sun was setting, Abraham fell into a deep sleep and a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. Okay, question. Was Abraham moving? No. Was he active at all at this moment? No. He was asleep. And now check this out. In verse 17, when the sun had set, and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. And on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram. Abram did nothing. Abram was asleep. God, in the form of a smoking firepot, came all the way through and guess what? Met Abraham right where he was at and said, Abram, you don't trust me? 
You don't believe me? Watch me prove it. This covenant is not based on you. This covenant's based on me. May I be as these animals if it's broken. May I be torn in two if it's broken. May I be ripped in two. May I be spilt of blood if I don't keep my end of the deal on this covenant, Abraham. That's how serious I am to keep this. That's what he's saying. So you want to know God is serious about his covenant that he's made to Abraham and in turn made to us? He's committed to his promise. He doesn't change. He doesn't change. That's what Paul is pointing back to this covenant, in this ritual, in this way. God never changes. He never goes back on his word. He always stays committed to his word. You want God to prove it? Look at Genesis 15. (laughs) His promises are always true. So we start with God's promises. This is what Paul is saying here. So go back to Galatians. And we see that there's only one prerequisite. Paul, Abram, Believe the promises. Believe the promises, and the inheritance is now yours. And so let's continue to go. So if we have this promise from God that will never change, why did God give us the law? Why? Why would he do this? See, I think many of us have a a misconstrued view of what the law is used for. I I think we have a confused view of of why, uh, what the law is, the purpose of the law is used for. And so let's look at verses 19 through 21, and you can read it, and I'll summarize it here. There are three points in 19 through 21 that we need to flesh out. Point one, the law shows us what's right. Psalm 19, verse seven. The, Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. See, remember, a couple weeks ago, I asked the question, what would it be like if all Ten Commandments were upheld in this world? What would it be like right now in this moment if we loved God with all our soul, all of our strength, all of our mind, all of our heart, if we loved one another, loved our neighbors well? See, imagine a universe where God was feared, where he was loved, where he was trusted. The neighbor was loved so selflessly there would be no murder, adultery, theft, lying, coveting, no racism, no need for foster care. No need for CPS or DCS. Sorry, caseworkers, we don't need you. (laughs) DCS and CPS were created at a response for the brokenness of this world. If we just upheld the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't need that. God didn't give us a vague generality of what we need to do. (laughs) He gave us a very, very clear and concise, specific command so that we don't live in this vague cloud of, well, I don't know if that's right or not. He's put it on our hearts to know what is right and what is wrong. But, but, we see the brokenness. And we see that what it looks like to live outside of what God wants for us, which is sin. And so the law shows us what's right, but the law also shows us what's wrong. So the law re- works as a mirror reflecting our own failure. So, It's a a mirror. It's an MRI scan of who we really are. The harsh reality is we do not and cannot keep God's law. See, Paul in Romans 7, 7 says, if if it had not been for the law, I would have not known sin. Romans 7, 7, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. It's, It's like I would not know what it means to be happy if I wasn't sad. How do you know when you're happy? If you're always happy. From from birth, you're always happy. Well, you're sad. 
And then you know when you're not sad because you're happy or in between. See, the law shows us what's right, but immediately shows us what's wrong. We can't keep it. So the second purpose is to expose our sin and our desperate need for rescue. And let me, let me just say this. Some of you are saying, well, Derek, we're not perfect. I'm not perfect. Back off a little bit. And I'm going to tell you that's exactly the point. It's exactly the point. God requires perfection. He requires it. He does. So we strive, but we know that we can't. So by showing us what's wrong, by knowing we can't, he also shows us what we need. So Paul, again, if you were to read, I'm summarizing here, if you were to read this this segment in Galatians 3, you would see this. The The law shows us what's needed. So because the law exposes, it exposes, it's an MRI scan. It shows that we need rescue and we now see that we need forgiven. We need rescued. Restoration, we need cleansed. If God requires perfection, we know we're not. We're in trouble. But the law, in its bad news, points us to our need for good news. Good news is only good because there's bad news. Right? And the more we're aware of the bad news, the better the good news becomes. So get this. So because God requires perfection, the bad news actually points to the good news of the gospel. The gospel tells us that we have been rescued from the law. We have been set free from the law. We have been entered into a new kind of kingdom. Freedom. So the law tells us what's right, shows us what's wrong, and it shows us what's needed. And that's why Paul is pointing back to the, the, the promise that God made in Genesis in the covenant ritual of chapter 15. We need to realize that this is why Jesus said in Matthew 5, 17, I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've actually come to fulfill them. See, by God's grace, he's provided a way out of this system. He's provided fulfillment of this system. He's provided fulfillment. He didn't abolish it. He just fulfilled it in himself. Remember the covenant ritual. May I be as these animals. May I be ripped in two. May I be poured out of my blood, dismembered. And Jesus on the cross was dismembered, was cut in half on our behalf so that we may be free. That's how serious God was to his promise. And that's how serious he still is to his promise. So how do we receive the promises of God? This is what Paul's saying. Do we trust it or do we earn it? There's only one way. Ephesians 2, verse 8 through 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one may boast. See, it's actually because of the law that we see our need for grace. It's because of the law that we see our need for rescue. It's because of the law that we see our need for forgiveness. We wouldn't know it apart from, from this law. And then this is what make, makes Jesus so sweet. It's like, it's like, how do you know you're tired if you've always had energy? You don't know. The law reveals our desperate need, but the law cannot accomplish what the grace of Christ can. See, the law pushes away and brings desperation without any remedy. It tells you you have cancer with no plan. But grace says, come near. Come, I'm here. And we ask what's required. 
And Jesus says, trust me. Trust me. I'm right here. I want to free you. Trust me. So how do we receive this promise of good news? Trust him. In Isaiah 55, verse 1, the word of God says, Come all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters you have no money. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Come buy wine and milk without money. We come to God empty-handed with our need and say, God, I need rescued. I need help. I'm tired. I'm desperate. I don't have hope. I, I've been looking elsewhere and I don't have it. I can't find it. See, what Paul is telling us here is that, that we now have this promise. And because God never goes back on his promises, we have something sure. And read the last line of this segment of text, verse 22. But scripture has locked up everything under the control of sin so that what was promised, being given through faith in Jesus Christ, might be given to those who believe. If you go back up to verse 18, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it no longer depends on that promise. Jesus tells us in John 4, 14, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never be thirsty. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. See, what we see in this text, what Paul is telling the Judaizers, telling the church at Galatia, brothers and sisters, God's promises can be trusted. You who think you have to earn, God's promises can be trusted. You who think you need to hop on that treadmill and never get off, God's promises can be trusted because God is never changing. He's never failing. What he says will come true will come true. And Jesus tells us that it's only through him that we will find it. It's only through him that the law will be fulfilled. It's only through him and trusting his promises that it will be fulfilled. See, Genesis 15 shows us this covenant ritual. God went all the way through and met Abraham in his sleep and is a picture of Christ coming all the way down and meeting us right where we're at. So I am here telling you this morning, wherever you're at, whatever circumstance you have, our salvation does not rest upon us earning it. Our salvation rests upon us trusting it, receiving the gift of God's grace in Christ and receiving it daily. So for you Christian in this room who say, I don't need to hear this, let me tell you, you do every day. You don't earn your salvation. You trust your, that God has provided the way to salvation in Christ. And for you non-believer in this room this morning, those of you who don't know who's questioning, let me tell you, it is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. It's reckless love given to us. See, because it's based on Christ and Christ alone, and he, as Paul said, fulfilled every promise that being given through faith in Jesus, we can now live differently today because our future is now secure. We can now live differently today in this present moment, because our future inheritance is secure because of what Christ has done. So let me tell you a few things of what, how we can live different today. 
See, God doesn't just want the end of your life. He wants your life right now. He doesn't just want to change the end of your life. He wants to change your life today. He wants to make all things new in your life. He wants to free you from whatever pain you're entering into with this morning. He wants to free you and make things new. He wants to change your marriage, your friendships, your work. He wants to change the way that you live. He wants to change you right now. So let me tell you a few things of what the gospel promises today, the good news in Christ promises today. It promises forgiveness. Past, present, or future sins, it promises forgiveness. That Jesus' grace is bigger than our sins, than our brokenness, than our rebellion. The gospel promises freedom. I firmly believe that this place right here, right now, that addictions can be broken through the promises of God found in Christ, through the power found in him. I believe that marriages can be restored. I believe that, that pain and guilt and shame and hurt that we're walking around with right now, I believe in the power of Jesus Christ that it can free you right now today and make you a new person today. He's taken your guilt. He's taken your shame. He's taken your marriage and pointed you to a true and better marriage so that you no longer hope in your earthly marriage as your source of life. You can go to the one who is always there, always true, always ready to forgive. I believe in the power of the freedom we have. I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, what we need to realize is that it's a promise of power, to, of deliverance and freedom, but also the power capable to do it. Paul says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The gospel fills us with power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel promises reconciliation today. Here's what we need to realize. We've been vertically reconciled to a holy God through Christ and his good news. And not just that, it doesn't just stop there. He doesn't say, now you have relationship with me. We can now have relationship with one another horizontally. Vertical and horizontal are new. That's why I'm so adamant about community in my own life. What a gift. What a gift community is. Are you kidding me? I get to be reconciled with you? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. I, I should not be friends with Lance. I say this all the time. Lance isn't here. Lance has a beard. He wears camo some days. Guys, I'm rocking a cardigan and skinny jeans this morning. Okay, I, that's not me. But for some reason, Lance and I are friends. And some, some reason, you and, and most of us are friends. And so what I'm telling you today is that the gospel promises reconciliation today. The gospel promises mercy today. Wherever you're at, wherever you're at, the pain that you walked in with this morning, the brokenness, the hurt, the shame, the guilt, the unreconciled friendships, the unreconciled family relationships, God wants to make those new. He wants to show you mercy he wants you to receive mercy, to receive his grace. See, the, prom the gospel promises, last thing here, the gospel promises love so that we may love. And this is how I'm going to end. Love so that we may love. That means love those who disagree with you. Love those who vote differently than you. Passionately pursue those who are on the left when you're on the right. Passionately pursue those who declare they're a Republican when you're a Democrat, or vice versa. Passionately love those who differ in opinions. Passionately love those who respond harshly on social media. 
Let me just give a piece of advice with that. Don't hit enter. Don't hit enter, please. Sit on it for a day. Passionately love those who live a different lifestyle than you. Passionately pursue those with this hot election season, local election season coming up. Passionately pursue those who are going to different types of meetings than you. Forgive the friendships that have been broken. Forgive the friend who made a mistake. Serve relentlessly. Forge friendships that don't make sense. And live a life today in which the only explanation of why you're doing what you are doing is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Together. So what I want to tell you, whatever pain you're carrying around this morning, Jesus has taken it. Whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever brokenness, he wants to make you new in this moment right now. And so if you have not devoted yourself to Jesus, if you've not given all of yourself to Jesus, he requires nothing of you but your need. So if you're in here and you're needy, good, we all are. Let's press into Jesus and the grace that's found in him all the more. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for your gift of free forgiveness, free grace. And out of that freedom, we may pursue you relentlessly. We may study you with good discipline and right response to all that you've done. Jesus, I pray that we would take your word seriously. I pray that we would take your work seriously on our behalf, that we would cry out the good news of Jesus is that the work is finished and now we can have freedom to pursue relentlessly. I pray that this church would be a refuge. I pray that this church would be a safe haven for broken and needy, desperate people because we all are. I pray that God's word would continue to set people free. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would preach a way better sermon than I did this morning. It's in your name we pray, amen. Hey, if you're new here this morning, I would love to get to know you. Come find me, fill out a Connect card. Uh, Go have a great day. Enjoy the weather, guys.